thank, we've got Chin Wee. He's going to preach today for us. Lee's away in Melbourne visiting, visiting some churches uh, today. So pray for him and um, our other brothers as they're there and uh, worshiping with the saints over east. Um, and read with me Mark 4, 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great, wi- and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And when they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you. Once again, as I've um, been told, uh, you have been going through different psalms over the last few weeks, and I am very glad to hear that because um, the book of Psalms is a wonderful book, and as you know, it is a collection of songs written by the people of God for the people of God, and they are an important part of our lives, isn't it? They express our emotions. It helps us to remember things. As many of you will know, I have two young children, and one of the ways that we teach them about God, the, the way we teach them to learn the alphabet is through songs, because they remember that. We sing at football games, and most of us remember, find it so much easier to remember lyrics than trying to memorize Bible verses, isn't it? For example, if I just ask you right now, what is the point of the sermon last week? How many of you can actually tell me that? Fantastic. But let me ask you, how about this? I can quote you one part of a famous hymn, and I'm sure most of you can complete the rest of it. So, So let me give you some examples. You don't have to shout it out. Just think in your own head. Amazing grace, how that, okay? You don't have to say it, that's fine. I once was blind, but... Now, most of you would know that. Most of you would know what those lyrics are. How about this? What a friend we all asked. I'm sure most of you will know that lyric as well. Our last one. In Christ alone, my, he is my light, my strength, my song. Most of you remember that. We didn't have to sit down and try to memorize that. Because songs really help us to remember things, memorize things. And that was done with other music. And I'm sure if we played just a tune, we can remember the songs even more. And there's one song over the years that seems to me that every single person knows the lyrics of and knows how to sing the song. I've been to different countries. Somehow everyone knows this song. Happy birthday, right? Everyone knows that song. We sing it all the time. So songs are a part of our lives. We, they play a very important part of our lives. It, when we sing, it refreshes our soul and helps in our worship to God. And that's why for many people, their favorite book is the Psalms in the Bible. 
There are songs for God's people to express their emotions, their feelings towards God. This collection of songs um, that we have in the book of Psalms, they cover a range of human emotions. Right? We have, in the Psalms, we have joy, we have grief, we have happiness, we have sorrow, we have fears, we have doubt, we have praise. We have all kinds of songs encapsulating all kinds of emotions to help us express towards God. It is a very real book written by real people who go through real life and real situations. It's not hypothetical. And that's very important for us to remember because sometimes we, whether we realize that or not, we have a very clean and sanitized version of church, of the Christian life in the church. Right, we come to church every weekend, you know, sometimes we sing happy, joyful songs all the time. We didn't do that today, which is great. Um, happy, joyful songs that, we, that say that, you know, we have great joy and happiness in Christ, which is true, which is true. And then we listen to a sermon that is inspirational, that, you know, tries to motivate us to change the world. And as we do that week after week after week, intentionally or unintentionally, we give the impression that if you are a Christian, everything will go your way, life will be great and joyful, and there's no place for sadness or grief in the church. So what happens to the Christian who comes to church after a miscarriage? What happens to the Christian who comes to church who has just re received the news that they have terminal cancer? How about Christians where their marriage is on the brink of ending? Do, they, do we have a place for them to come to church and express their emotions to God? Through the Psalms, they do. Through the Psalms, you do. The Psalms are not clean, they are not sanitized, they are real emotions written by real people with real struggles. And the Psalms, because of that, it comforts us, they reassure us, it helps us to worship God. So today we are looking at one psalm, Psalm 46. This is a psalm of comfort, a psalm that is written in the midst of adversity, in which God rescued them. It is a song that reminds us that God is our refuge and strength, especially in the chaos. No problem, whether it is emotional or physical or spiritual, no problem is too big for God. And if we learn to take refuge in God, lean on him for our strength, then like the psalmist, we can face any kind of crisis with quiet confidence because we know that God is with us. So I'm going to take the time to read the whole psalm, Psalm 46. So either you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 46 or just in your booklet to Psalm 46. And I'll read the whole psalm in your booklet. Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is, the, is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The, nation, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. 
the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now this psalm divides very neatly into two points. So point number one, God is our refuge in the chaos. God is our refuge in the chaos. And that comes from verse one. So look at verse one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's a great and comforting start, isn't it? It's a comforting thought that no matter what we're going through in life, even if the mountains fall or the seas roar, we will always have refuge in God. God is always our strength. He is always there for us. He is a very present help in troubles. And this is not something that the psalmist is wishing for when he writes this. But rather what the psalmist is doing is he's describing his experience with God. God is our refuge and strength because he has been found throughout our lives to be a very present help in trouble. It's not something that we're wishing for, it's something that we have experienced, and therefore we can say that. And because of that, we will not fear anything, even though troubles may come. And the kind of troubles that the psalmist talks about is about the earth giving way, the mountains trembling or falling into the sea, the seas roaring and the waters foaming. And those are all very scary events. And it, what makes them so scary is that because we are completely helpless when faced with those events. When an earthquake comes, when a tsunami comes, when you're caught in the middle of a storm, we're out in the sea, there's absolutely nothing we can do. We feel completely helpless against something that is out of our control. And sometimes, that is how we feel, isn't it? When we receive that call, that changes your life. I'm sorry to tell you that you have cancer. I'm sorry to tell you that you have lost your baby. I'm sorry to tell you that you have lost your husband or your wife or your job. And you just get hit by this storm of life, events in our lives that we feel absolutely and completely helpless against. Something that's out of our control. What do we do then? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is our refuge. God is our strength. We flee and we turn to God. We find relief in God. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And the God we worship is the God who made the universe. Do you not think that he is able to keep you safe through the storm? Do you not think that he is able to calm the storm? Jesus' disciples doubted that. In our Bible reading just now, in Mark chapter 4, we see Jesus getting into a boat, his disciples following him, and as they were in the sea, suddenly a fierce storm came out on the lake, and waves they were sweeping over the sea, and there was Jesus sound asleep. 
on a cushion. Naturally, the disciples were afraid. They woke Jesus up and they were asking Jesus, save us, save us. You're going to drown. So Jesus woke up and he first rebukes his disciple. You know, he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then almost in a ridiculous fashion, he rebukes the storm by saying, peace, be still. I mean, have you seen anyone rebuke a storm? You know, a few weeks ago when we had that storm coming to the Perth where it's raining two days in a row, have you tried going out to your garden and say, then look up to the sky and say, peace, be still. You look pretty ridiculous to, to do that. You look silly, but not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. He stands up, he rebukes the winds and the waves, and it was calm. And the disciples were amazed. What kind of man is this? Just who is this guy? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Just who is this guy? The Lord Almighty, the God of Jacob. He is with us. He is our fortress. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, I don't know if the disciples eventually noticed the similarity between what they went through, what they experienced, and what we have in Psalm 46. I notice this. Jesus asked his disciples, why are you so afraid? They were in the midst of furious storms. The waters were roaring around them. And then suddenly he calms the storm. In Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. Verse 1, we will not fear, we will not be afraid. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, the waters roar and foam, the mountains quake and with their surging. And then in verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. You sense immediate calmness compared to the roaring of waters in verse 3. Now that is done on purpose by the psalmist. This jarring change of tone and picture, right? In verse 2 and 3, we have this turmoil and chaos and waters roaring. And then suddenly in verse 4, this calm river whose streams make glad the city of God. And this city of God, this place is where the Most High dwells. The holy habitation of the Most High. And when the psalmist talks about the city of God, he is talking about the people of God. God dwells with his people. They will not fall. God will help her when morning dawns. And in verse 6, he says, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. God just lifts his voice, and the earth melts. God's people is secure with God. It is a place of calmness and serenity, a place of security. It is a place where God's people can say, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. It is a picture of inner peace and security with God, because God is with us. There is an account where Jesus meets this Samaritan woman who was at the well to draw water at noon. And as we continue reading that account, we start to learn that this woman is having a terrible time in her own private life. She has had five husbands. They could have died or divorced her. We don't know what happened to them. And even the man that she was with at the moment is not her husband. 
her life was in shambles. It was in turmoil. And Jesus comes up, meets her, and he knows this. And one of the things that he says to her in John chapter 4 is this. Everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give them will never be thirsty again. This water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's the kind of water God provides for us, an infinite resource within us that we can draw upon forever, that we never have to thirst again. There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God. And even though that woman is likely having a terrible time in her own private life, Jesus offers this water of life to her to give her peace, to give her security, so that she never has to thirst anymore. And we can rest assured that when we drink this water, when we believe in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit with us, comforting us, being with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And that is an immense comfort for us, just to know that we can rely on God when life gets tough. And all too often in today's world, especially in the Western world, we are under this immense pressure to keep up our image that everything is okay in our lives, that we don't need help, that life is good. We are not supposed to show any kind of weaknesses in our workplace or in school. We are not supposed to tell people that you are being bullied or you are suffering from depression. We're under this constant pressure, be it from people around us or from you know, social media, to present to the world that everything is okay in your own lives. And let's be honest, very often we feel the same pressure in the church to show this image that we are all okay when underneath it all, you may feel like everything is crumbling in your life. And you are afraid to show this weakness because it seems like everyone else has got their life together. Let me tell you this, that's not true. That is not true. We all come here as broken people. And this pressure is felt strongest most often in the ranks of the elite, especially in a prestigious university like Harvard University. I recently came across a heartbreaking story uh, written by um, an anonymous person from a Harvard student about what she went through at the university. So she arrived at university, when she arrived at um, Harvard, she was the stereotypical freshman. Right, she had a good life, very blessed life so far. Um, great parents never drank alcohol too much. The most she ever drank was just a, a glass of champagne. She has a steady boyfriend of two years at that time. Life wasn't perfect, but it was close to perfect for her. So when she comes to Harvard, it becomes a whole new world to her. She started drinking heavily for the first time. She partied every weekend. And eventually, she broke off her relationship with her high school boyfriend. She had a social life, good, good grades. And it wasn't long that she fell in love with a boy whom she claimed to be perfect for her, right? the type of soulmate that everyone dreams of finding at Harvard. Right? He shared her quirky sense of humor, apparently, made her feel crazily in love. They could finish each other's sentences and jokes. Right, they understood each other in a way that no one else had, according to her. 
and he told her that he wanted to marry her and eventually she ended up losing her virginity to him but after a while everything changed they started having arguments about every little thing her emotions were all over the place she would say i love you but then be angry and then confused and sad so there was this emotional roller coaster and he could not deal with that and he decided enough is enough he broke off the relationship he told her that she wasn't a girl he fell in love with and broke up with her so she spent weeks crying about losing him she couldn't sleep she couldn't eat she couldn't concentrate she started having nightmares and started vomiting and then she realized she's pregnant she took two tests just to be sure yes it was true she's pregnant and when she found out she spent the night crying by herself she skipped the class she skipped her classes next day she went to an abortion clinic and there she learned that she was four months pregnant and at that point she desperately wanted her boyfriend back but he's already dating somebody else so she couldn't tell him she couldn't tell anyone so she decided to call the abortion clinic again to schedule an abortion and this is what she wrote this is what she says that week was the hardest of my entire life i hid underneath baggy sweaters convinced that someone would notice how round my stomach had gotten i was pale and withdrawn and skipped almost every class to cry in my bedroom i woke up every day praying that i was having some some kind of extended nightmare i wasn't the procedure didn't take long it wasn't even that physically painful but when it was over i screamed i couldn't stop screaming as i write these words it has been over a month since the abortion and on the inside that screaming hasn't stopped and part of what makes it so hard is that there is no one to help me deal with the pain i wish i had support I wish that someone would tell me I'm not a horrible person for making the choice I did or say that they sympathize with my agony but I can't tell anyone even my family about my abortion or my child it is frightening how hard it can be to find support at Harvard I was shocked by how easy it was to hide my pregnancy we are so wrapped up in our own lives that we forget to pay attention to others When I read that, I was heartbroken for her. She had no one to talk to, no one to give her support. And part of me wished I, I could have been there and just be a friend to her and say to her, you can turn to God. God is our refuge and strength. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You can turn to him. I wish I was there to say that to her. But she had no one to turn to, no one to support her. And that's why she was in such agony. And this morning, some of you may be feeling like that woman did. Some of you may be going through similar turmoils in your life. Please know that you can turn to God. Please know that you can rely on God you can talk to him you can pray to him you can find support from him the lord of hosts is with us the god of jacob is our fortress 
Let's come to our next point. Point number two. God's peace among the nations. God's peace among the nations. That's from verse 8 to 11. Now, up to this point, the psalmist hasn't really talked much about what kind of God this is. What kind of God is with us? And so he invites us to come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. And here, he's talking about Come and see how the Lord has defeated the enemies of God's people. The enemies of God's people stand no chance against them because God is with them. And the picture that we get in verse 9 is a picture of God making wars cease to the ends of the earth by forcibly disarming the nations. Right? He breaks their bows, he shatters their spears, he burns their chariots or their shields with fire. And then in verse 10, we get the first and only command in this psalm. And God himself speaks. And he says this, Be still and know that I am God. Now, when I first read that, I thought it was something like, oh, Be still. Calm down. It's okay. Don't be anxious. I'm here. Know that I am God. Now, that's true. We should not be anxious. We should turn to God. God is there in the midst of a crisis. We need to be still and know that God is there for us. That's true. But I'm not convinced of that kind of reading now, not in this context, not in this psalm. No, no, this is, I think this here, in this context, in context, I think this is God announcing to all the nations, declaring to all the nations, commanding all the nations, saying, be still, stop, no more. Know that I am God, I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. Right? This is God declaring to everyone on earth who He is. This is the role of a God who is in complete control. So this will not be like the United Nations or you know, politicians where you know, when something major happens, they will issue strongly worded statements right, about condemning any kind of those events or terrorist events. But sometimes it doesn't seem to work. We still have those things going on. We still have atrocities and evils going on in this world. Not like that. No, 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 no. This is God demonstrating that He is in complete control. And when He decides it is time, He will disarm the nations and He will make, and he will make war cease. Now, that hasn't happened just yet. That will happen in the future when Jesus Christ comes back again, comes with great power, and all the nations will see who He is, and He will make war cease. And that's the kind of God who is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the Lord of hosts, the God of the universe with the host of armies in heaven. This is the God who made all things, who sustains all things. This God is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. If this God is for us, who can be against us? This God is bigger than any trouble, any crisis we will ever face. And that is why we can take refuge in Him. That is why we can draw strength from Him. As we end, let me tell you about the Ares family. The Ares family. In um, Indiana, in America, there is a family plot of a father and a mother and their eight children. 
So these parents, they buried all their sons and daughters before their oldest child was 20 years old. So someone came across their family plot um, and slowly pieced together their story. So this is how their story went. So in 1820, 28-year-old Elias and 24-year-old Marianne from the Aries family, they celebrated the birth of their first child, Mary. And then they had their first son, William, the next year. Three years later, Edward was born. And then in 1826, which is six years after the first was born, they welcomed another daughter, Caroline. And then they have their fifth child, Henry, born in January 1829. So in nine years, they have five children, right? Mary, oldest is Mary, William, Edward, Caroline, Henry. Five children, nine years. But from then on, suffering came. Three-year-old Caroline, she died in 1829, August 1829. Two months later, they buried their eight-year-old son, William. And his tombstone reads, he was, a, he was a precious gift. In his youth, he sought the Lord God of his fathers. And it's not, for God took him. Several months after they buried Caroline and William, they had another child. A third daughter, also called Caroline. But in August of that same year, they buried their fifthborn, Henry, who at that time was 20 months. So they had six children, they buried three of their children. So they continued on in their as a family, a family that is quite familiar with grief at this point in time. March 1833, God blessed them with another daughter, Cornelia. But 16 months later, again in the cemetery, they were there for two times, in the month of July, to bury Cornelia, and then to bury Caroline in 1834. And Cornelia's tombstone shows, shows that Ma Elias and Marianne, they were still blessing God. They're still blessing the name of the Lord after he has taken five of their seven children. He reads this, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Two years later, they celebrated the birth of their eighth child, Maria. But next year, they buried Maria. Maria died. And then in 1839, they buried their 19-year-old daughter and their 15-year-old son, Edward. One in July, the other one in December. And Mary's memorial stone declares and says this, her life was hid with Christ in God, and when he who is her life shall appear, then shall she appear with him in glory. So they buried all eight of your children at this point in time. And in 1842, three years after burying all of their children, 50-year-old Elias, he died and he was laid to rest. And his tombstone reads this, blessed are, those, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. And so for the next 36 years, Marianne lived without her family. She died in 1878. She was 82 years old. But her tombstone quotes a psalm, Psalm chapter 4. I will lay me down in peace and sleep. 
This is a family who knew grief. This is a family who knew pain and suffering. But this is also a family who knew the safety and rest of belonging to God. This is a family who took refuge in God and drew strength from God. They knew that the Lord Almighty is with them. They could not have gone through what they went through without God. Can you imagine it? Bearing all eight of your children. How can anyone go through that? They did. Because the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. If there's one thing to remember today, let us remember that. Let us remember this psalm. Turn to Psalm 46, be comforted. Turn to Psalm 46 and find refuge in God. And just a few days ago, I was visiting a fellow saint in the hospital. He just contracted pneumonia in the midst of his chemotherapy. But as I visited them, I read Psalm 46 with them and prayed for them. And after praying for them, you can see tears just rolling down his eyes. Because he knows that the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. In times of trouble, remember that the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. In times of great joy, remember that the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. In times of great pain or great sorrow, remember that the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. As we end, let me ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm going to read one passage of scripture to all of us. And as I do that, know deep down in your hearts that this passage is talking about you, talking about us, talking about those who have put our faith and trust in Jesus. And then after that, I am going to pray after we hear from that scripture passage. So let us close our eyes. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord Jesus is with us. The Lord Jesus is our fortress. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for being our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Help us to turn to you. Help us to lean upon you. Help us to know that you are there for us. That you are our fortress. We thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ. We thank you that there's nothing or all of creation that will be able to separate us from your love in Jesus. So help us to cling to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.